Jesus said, it's not to be amongst you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, don't be like the Gentiles who lord it over one another and they think it's great if they can be bosses and stamp on people and make them feel low. But if you really want to be great, he's saying, then you take the role of a deacon. You be a servant. That's the word here. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, I'm the model deacon. Anyone who wants to be great in the kingdom of God is to be like me. Jesus is a deacon. He's a deacon. So loving service to others, why? Why should we all be involved in deacon work? Because Christ was and is a deacon to us, meeting our greatest need, and that is salvation. So what he's saying is those who aspire to be leaders must voluntarily stoop to serve in the role of a deacon. Now we're all involved in this. Whether you realize it or not, you've been equipped to be a deacon. time again for verse by verse as we are studying 1 Timothy chapter 3 and God's standards for church leadership. We are in verses 8 through 13 and we're talking about deacons. As we have heard from Pastor Steve, the word deacon has picked up all kinds of connotations. And so we're just trying to clear the air so that we really understand the biblical definition of deacon. If we don't understand that, we won't understand our next verse-by-verse broadcasts. So today, Pastor Steve is going to help us understand that every one of us is called to be a deacon or someone who serves. We have to understand that before we can understand what the official body called the deacons of the church is all about. So without any further ado, let's bring in Pastor Steve Kreloff for today's verse-by-verse broadcast. Let's look at Matthew chapter 20. This is very important for us to see this, and hopefully when we get through, you'll have no misunderstanding of what the Bible has to say about this. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, Jesus said, It's not to be amongst you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, don't be like the Gentiles who lord it over one another, and they think it's great if they can be bosses and stamp on people and make them feel low. But if you really want to be great, he's saying, then you take the role of a deacon. You be a servant. That's the word here. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, I'm the model deacon. Anyone who wants to be great in the kingdom of God is to be like me. Jesus is a deacon. He's a deacon. So loving service to others, why? Why should we all be involved in deacon work? Because Christ was and is a deacon to us, meeting our greatest need, and that is salvation. So what he's saying is those who aspire to be leaders must voluntarily stoop to serve in the role of a deacon. Now we're all involved in this. Whether you realize it or not, you've been equipped to be a deacon. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I told you this was like a Sunday school lesson, just going back and forth, but you have to know this because through time, 
the word deacon has picked up all kinds of barnacles and all kinds of connotations and we're just trying to clear the air so you really understand what we're talking about. Because if you miss this, you really won't understand what we're talking about next week. You really won't understand that every one of us is called to be a deacon. And if you miss that, then you won't understand what the official body called the deacons of the church is all about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 5. Now he's speaking here about people being gifted, about people having different ministries, about the body of Christ having a unique ministry. Each one of us is gifted in an area. And he says in verse 5, and there are varieties of ministries. It's the word deacon. There's variety of diakonos. Varieties. But the same Lord. Ministries of the word diakonia. Every believer is a deacon, rendering some form of service to the body of Christ. You are a deacon. You are a deaconess if you are a woman. You are to be involved in this. Now, it's true that some people seem to shine more than others. I believe the gift of helps is the gift of service. And there are some people who seem to be a cut above everybody else in serving. But that doesn't relinquish us from the responsibility to be servants, to be deacons. Every believer is. In fact, in Ephesians 4.12, it says that pastor, teachers, and evangelists, prophets, apostles are given to equip you to do what? The work of being a deacon. That's the work of ministry. That's the same word. So my job each week is to help you to be a better deacon. That's why I teach the word of God, that you might be equipped. And that equipping will help you to minister to others, and that's how the body of Christ is built up. You see, it's all connected. If I don't teach you then you probably will not be growing as much, and your Sunday school teachers as well. You probably will not be growing and being the kind of deacon that you should be. And if you're not the kind of deacon you should be, then the body of Christ will not be built up. That's the progression of thought in Ephesians 4, 12, and 13. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we meet an interesting family. Chapter 16, verse 15 says this, Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, It's a good name, but that's the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for what? For being deacons to the saints. Now, highly unlikely that there's a whole family of deacons, but it is very likely that the whole family was committed to ministering, and everybody knew them as servants. They were all deacons, not in the official capacity, but in the servanthood role. It's fascinating to me, even angels are deacons. you know that? The Bible says in Hebrews 1, 14... They are ministering spirits. They are deaconing spirits. They protect us, they watch over us, and they further our well-being. So, so angels are deacons. They may not sit on a deacon's meeting. They may not be an official board, but they are deacons because they are serving you. That's the word there. And I might add, every time you read in the New Testament the word servant or the word slave, it is not always the word deacon. It is not. There's other words there. There's one word for slave being an under rower, a galley slave. There's another word, doulos, which means a low slave, the lowest of the lows. This is a specific word, and it's used here for angels being deacons. So all of us are to be deacons. So to answer the question, what does the word deacon mean? Any kind of service. Any kind of service. Second question, if all of us are deacons, then where did the office of a deacon originate? That's a good question. And I don't know the answer. I know that your minds are probably thinking, what about Acts chapter 6? Well, let's turn to Acts chapter 6. And I would venture to make a very bold statement right at the beginning of this that I don't believe that it's conclusive that deacons began in Acts chapter 6. I know we usually think that, 
But that doesn't come from a careful study of the passage. It just comes from people telling us and we just sort of accept it. And we have no other place to say the deacons came from. So we just assume that it came back there. In fact, I'm convinced that there was never a passage called Philippians 1.1 which spoke of deacons. And there never was a passage of 1 Timothy chapter 3 which spoke of the office of deacons. Nobody would ever conclude that Acts chapter 6 is the beginning of this office. We interpret that by interpreting the other passages. But a clear study of this, I think, indicates that they were not the first official deacons. No one knows for sure where it began, but Acts chapter 6 has to be examined because it does give us insight into what deacons are today, even though I don't believe it started officially back then. In Acts chapter 6, we read this in verse 1 and 2. Now at this time... That is the Passover time, the day of Pentecost time. While the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. Now you understand, the Hellenistic Jews are Jewish people who generally live outside of Palestine. They live in the Roman Empire and they do not speak Hebrew as their main tongue. They may know Hebrew, but they speak Greek. That's why they are called Hellenistic Jews. There was no Gentiles in this church, but there were Greek-speaking Jews. But there arose a complaint on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. That is, some people started murmuring. See, our problems in the 20th century is not unique. People murmured back then. And they murmured against the native Hebrews. That is, Jewish people who lived in Judea, and their main language, their main tongue was Hebrew. Now, why did the Hellenistic Jews murmur against the Hebrew-speaking Jews? Because their widows, that is, the Greek-speaking widows, were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Now, let's stop there for a moment. It's believed by scholars that at this time in the history of the church, that there was about 20,000 people in the church of Jerusalem. So much for small churches. There are people who tell me that churches ought to always be small. If you grow to a certain amount of people, then you just have to expand and start another work. But this church here had about 20,000 people at the time. Now, that's a lot of people to take care of. You had some very poor widows there. You had people who came in from the outside for the Passover time. And then the day of Pentecost, they came to know the Lord and they just stayed on. And the church had to take care of them. There's no way that 12 apostles could take care of all the widows around town. Even if there was just a few hundred. That's a lot of people to take care of. And verse 2 says, And the 12, that is the 12 apostles, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables, in order to be deacons. That's the thought here. That's a general broad use. That's a table waiter. Now you can imagine the problem. We don't often think about this problem. It's very real. Money had to be collected, food needed to be purchased, and then it needed to be distributed to the widows. Who's going to do that? That's a lot of people. Let's say that there were just a few hundred. It's more likely there might have been a few thousand. Now, at first, the apostles took care of this sort of thing for the poor in the church. They did this. You might not realize that, but if you turn back a page, at least it's a page in my Bible, Acts chapter 4, verse 34. The Bible says there was not a needy person among them, and this is the church of Jerusalem, same church. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales. And what would they do with them? Verse 35 says, And they would lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. So the normal thing of the church was that the apostles were doing this. And in fact, in chapter 5, verse 1 says, A certain man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bring a portion up. He laid it where? At the apostles' feet. So the normal pattern 
was for the elders to take care of the physical needs of the congregation. But apparently the church grew to such a proportion and such a size that they just couldn't do this. And there were so many widows that they just couldn't do that and continue the priority of teaching. After all, what was their main job? They had to disciple these people. Many of them would be heading back to their own homes. Many of them in a few weeks or days would be leaving to go back to the cities in the Roman Empire. And they had to disciple these folks. They had to take care of 20,000 people. There's nothing wrong with taking care of the needs of the widows. It's just that nobody could do what they were doing, and that was teaching the word of God. They had to disciple these people and make sure they were grounded in the truth. They couldn't go and just turn on Keswick Radio. They couldn't go to the local Christian bookstore and get a Christian book. If they weren't discipled here, the cause of Christ is really going to be hurt. So the responsibility eventually became such a burden to the apostles that it took away from them the priority of teaching God's word. So look what they did in verse 3 and 4. But select from among you, they said, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, the service of the word, the deaconing of the word of God. That was their advice. Now, these men had to be men of good reputation. Can you think why? Well, because they'd be entrusted with a lot of money. They didn't have credit cards in those days. They didn't have computers to punch it in to see who had what. They didn't have checks. No, they would have a lot of money, and they had to be men of good reputation, or else the money might be gone, and they might be vacationing along the Mediterranean. Secondly, they needed to be full of the spirit and wisdom because it's difficult to work out a system that's fair for everybody. They had to know who really had legitimate needs or who was lying to them or who said they had more needs than they really did. They had to work out a very fair system for everybody. Greek-speaking widows, Hebrew-speaking widows. Now, verses 5 and 6. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Were these men really the first deacons? I don't believe so. Probably not. It's true they waited on tables. It's true they had a form of being a servant, but in the sense that you and I are serving in general. Let me tell you my major reasons why I don't believe these were the first deacons. First of all, they are never called deacons. Never. Never called deacons in this passage. And when the rest of the Bible mentions some of these men, such as Stephen and Philip, they're not mentioned as deacons. In fact, Philip is mentioned as an evangelist, not a deacon. That wasn't his official title. Secondly, all of these men were Greeks, that is, Hellenistic Jews. How do we know that? They all had Greek names. They didn't have Hebrew names. There was not a Moishe in the group. They all had Greek names. It's highly unlikely that the official deacons of a Hebrew-speaking church would be all Greeks. I mean, that makes sense to you. It makes sense to me. I hope it makes sense to you that if you're going to establish an official group of deacons in a predominantly Hebrew-speaking church, you don't have Greek-speaking men. That just doesn't make sense to have an ongoing work. These men, I believe, were called upon to help in a one-time crisis that involved Greek widows, so Greek men helped them. You don't hear about them the rest of the book of Acts. In fact, you don't read about any official group of any church in the book of Acts that had deacons. You do read about elders, but you don't read about appointing deacons in all the churches. In fact, it's interesting, in Acts chapter 11, there's another crisis that hits Jerusalem, and that is famine hits. 
That's six or seven years after Acts 6. And you know who took care of it? Who distributed the money and who they brought the money to? Not the deacons, because there are no official deacons then. They brought them to the elders, and the elders did it. Now, if there were deacons, if that was the group that took care of all the physical needs of everybody, then why would they bring it to the elders? It's because there was no official group of men called deacons. So the question is this, who were they? Well, I believe, as I said before, there was a non-permanent ministry raised up to meet a specific need, but I think we could say, in all fairness to these men, that they were a prototype of deacons. They were sort of forerunners of deacons. My guess is this, and it is only my guess, because we don't know officially where official deacons started, but my guess is this. Other churches looked at what the apostles of Jerusalem did. Somewhere down the line, they had crisis, as every church has crises, and they looked at what the other church did. That was the mother church, the Church of Jerusalem, and what they did to meet a crisis, and they began to choose men to relieve the burdens of the pastors by ministering to the needs of the church. So they most likely chose a body of qualified men, godly men, to serve on behalf of the whole church, and based on their work of service, these men acquired the name servants, the servants or the deacons. Now that's my guess how it began. The mother church did this. Others said, that's a good idea, let's do it. And the more they did it, the more these men were involved in ministering and there rose just sort of out of the need an official group of people called the servants of the church. So the first question is, what does the name mean? It means generally any service that's beneficial to anybody. Secondly, what is its origin? We're not sure, but in Acts chapter 6, we see probably somewhat of a pattern laid down, a prototype. The third question is, what is the role of deacons of a church? And that's really where we're headed. What's the role of deacons of a church? You know, this is something always that our elders and deacons struggle with, and that's why I hope this will clear up some things. We always seem to struggle with this question. The deacons inevitably come and ask the elders, what are we supposed to do? And the elders go back and we discuss it and we try to figure out, yeah, what are they supposed to do? And the reason it's not so easy is because the Bible is vague about this. In fact, the Bible is intentionally vague about this. In fact, you can't find, as well as I, any place in the Bible where it says what deacons are exactly supposed to do. That's why we struggle with this every year. And the deacons want us to give them a sort of a responsibility list, and we struggle, what should we do, and we come up with things. What are they supposed to do? The Bible is intentionally vague about what deacons do. I said you won't find anything specific in the Bible that clearly indicates what a deacon does. Now, this is different than an elder. That's why we could spend nine weeks on it, because it's very clear what an elder does. An elder teaches, an elder administrates, an elder protects the flock, an elder warns the flock, an elder oversees the flock, an elder shepherds the flock, an elder feeds the flock. All of these things, and many, many others. Whatever a physical shepherd does, that's what a spiritual shepherd does. But by divine design, you won't find that in the New Testament concerning deacons. The Bible doesn't lock a deacon or deacons into any specific responsibilities because deacons are called to be servants to the church in whatever capacity they're needed. Whatever capacity they're needed. They are to adjust to the needs at hand. There is no list of what exactly people are to do. Whenever a need arises, they are to be people who are committed to that. Now, we're all to be people committed to that, but the deacons especially. In fact, their very existence is based upon needs. If there are no needs, if the elders can meet all of the needs and you don't need, people call the deacons of the church. In fact, it's my belief that when Paul sent Titus to Crete and he established that church, It's my belief that it was a new work. That's not just my belief, that's fact. But notice Titus never says anything about deacons in the church. 
They didn't have deacons in the early church at Crete. But they did have it in Ephesus because Ephesus was 12 years old. It was established. It was mature. It was already functioning. It was probably much larger than what was taking place at Crete. But you not find anything in Titus chapter 1, 2, or 3 speaking about deacons. I don't believe they had them. They didn't need them. The elders could handle it at that point in time. Some churches just don't need deacons, especially new churches, because the elders can handle things. But as the church grows, as our church has over the years, the elders need deacons who will relieve them by ministering to the church. You see, needs change and needs vary, and you can't just put a lock on what people are supposed to do. Service is whatever comes up. But they are to relieve the elders by ministering to the church, just like the men in Acts 6 relieved the apostles by meeting a crisis need, so deacons are to do that with pastors. How? By doing whatever the elders need them to do, which could be anything, whatever they need them to do so that the church is served properly. Their work is to be done in harmony with the elders and is to complement the elders' work. They are to be available, and they are to be at the disposal of the elders in order to meet the needs of the congregation. That's the point. They're to be available. They're to be at their disposal. They're to complement them. They're to be doing the work in harmony. There needs to be great communication. I think we probably need to improve on that so we don't frustrate the deacons wondering what they're supposed to do and that we don't have to do double work in finding out what we're to tell them to do. Now, this is very, very important. Very important. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul concentrates not on the role of a deacon, not on what they do, but on their quality of life, on what they are, not his work. Why? If you don't get anything else, get this. What a man is, is the issue, not what he does. What a man is, is the issue, not what he does. Because when the right men are in office, they will naturally be reaching out to those in need, regardless of a job description. You can't make somebody a servant. They either are or they're not. You can't make them a servant, just like you can't make a man a pastor. Either he is or he isn't. Putting a title on him doesn't change him. What a man is, is the issue, not what he does. You don't have to tell servants to serve. They do it. You don't have to tell shepherds to shepherd. They do it. So quality of leadership, integrity, and purity of leadership are the issues, not job description. That's very important. That's very important. In fact, it's very important for us to understand the governments of a church. There are a lot of people who want to argue about church government and make it a big issue. Really, while I believe in the plurality of elders and plurality of deacons, the form of government is not that important. What's important is the quality of men that serve as leaders. That's always the priority. That's always the issue. And if you get hung up on the form, you're going to forget that integrity and purity of life is the issue. The wrong men with the right form of government is going to be chaos. The right men with even the wrong form of government, God's going to bless. So quality of leadership is the issue, not job description. That's why next week we're going to look at the qualities for a deacon, because that's really what's at stake. Not what they do, but what they are. Let's bow for prayer. And as we bow for prayer, we need to ask ourselves, are we deacons? Well, what does the Bible say? Yes. You may not be an official board, but you are. I'm a deacon. Do you know that? I'm a deacon. And I'm to serve. And you're to serve. You're part of the diakonos. You're part of the deacons in this church. And if you're not, then you're not really obedient to Christ. Because that's what he said. What are you doing? Are you ministering? Are you serving? Are you being a deacon? 
It would be the worst thing for us to think that we have official deacons so we don't have to serve. That's absolutely the worst thing that you could come away from this study thinking. You have to see yourself as a deacon. And when people do that, and they mature to a level of standards of godliness, then from amongst that congregation, from amongst the people, God raises up people who are official deacons and deaconesses to serve Him in that capacity. We learned something very important today. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul concentrated not on the role of a deacon, not on what they do, but on their quality of life, on what they are. That is important because the crucial issue is what a person is, not what a person does or their title. When the right men are in office, they will naturally be reaching out to those in need, regardless of their job description. It's impossible to make somebody a servant. They either are or they're not. You can't make them a servant just like you can't make a man a pastor or an elder. Either he is or isn't. Putting a title on him won't change anything in that regard. So in the case of deacons, you don't have to tell the servants to serve. They just do it. And we've heard some excellent teaching these last two broadcasts, and we have more biblical teaching coming our way from 1 Timothy chapter 3 on our next verse-by-verse broadcast. (laughs) 